Hey, welcome to the Saints Church Podcast. We are so happy to have you tune in for another incredible sermon. Let's tune in together. Hey, welcome to church. My name is Brett. I'm so honored that I get to be a part of your life in this way, whether you're in the car, uh, you're at home, you're at work. Uh, It's an honor and a privilege. Thanks for being here. We're going to jump into the Bible. We believe that the scriptures are timeless truths for everyday life. So we're going to build our life on what the Bible says. We can dig a deep foundation and build on Jesus Christ himself. So let's go to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. We'll start at verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Or another translation says, who do you say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? Today, I want to ask you the exact same question. Who do you say that God is? Who is God? Maybe you've got uh, this idea or this picture in your mind that God is an old dude sitting on a throne somewhere with this epically long, like white beard and, and white. He's just the ultimate dude hanging out on a throne made of clouds. Maybe you don't visualize him at all. You, you maybe use words like father or love to describe his essence, but you don't have a picture. Uh, maybe you see him like Gary Larson does, just ready to unleash natural disaster on anyone and everyone just going to hit that button on his computer. You know, uh, I, I do a lot of weddings. Um, and every time I go to a wedding, the exact same thing happens. And I'm sure it's going to happen uh, at least 100 more times that I'm talking to somebody, generally a groomsman, and he starts telling me that he is surprised. He makes this awkward joke, the same awkward joke every time once he finds out that I'm the pastor and that we're in a church. He goes, wow, I just can't believe I haven't spontaneously combusted into flames yet. As if God was just going to just light him on fire. Maybe you might think that there's a disconnect between the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But Remarkably, that's not actually a new idea. It's a really old idea. There was this guy named Marcion, and he taught that there were two distinct gods, the God of the Old Testament, who was a harsh God of law and justice, while the God of the New Testament was a benevolent God of mercy and salvation. Dr. David T. Lamb, in his book, God Behaving Badly, actually flips the script over, and he asks this question. He says, how does one reconcile the loving God of the Old Testament with the harsh God of the New Testament. So let me ask you again, who is God? How do you see God? And who do you say that God is? As we're studying the Trinity, we're discovering or we we know, we're, we're shoring up this firm foundation that there is one God, but he is three in one. Three persons, the Father, the Son, in the Holy Spirit. And today I want to dig into this idea of, of the Father, but we want to take it to a personal level. So to do that, let's go all the way to the beginning. 
We're going to go to Genesis 1. Um, and and when, you, when you find in Scripture Genesis 1, God describes himself, or it, the Scriptures start to describe God. They use a word, Elohim. Elohim. And, and this word, this name of God is used about 2,600 times in the Old Testament alone. Uh, but that's not how God introduced himself. That's how he first appears, but it's not how he introduced himself. There's another title or a descriptor that's used for God. You can find it in Genesis 15, verse 2, and that's Adonai. Adonai, which it's a title and it means Lord. But again, that's not how God introduced himself. God introduces himself to Moses in Exodus 3, and he uses his personal name. His personal name is Yahweh. This name is used some 6,800 times throughout the scripture. It's his personal name. Do you remember that moment at school uh, when you finally found out, probably elementary school, when you finally found out your teacher's first name? And it just kind of rattled your universe. It kind of shook everything up because up until that point, the, a teacher was just a teacher and they didn't have a life outside of that educational institution. They were just Mrs. or Mr. So-and-so and they just did that. But the moment you found out they had a first name, it just kind of changed everything. They were a real person with a real family and, and, and just changed. And then there's that one kid, right? Always that one kid who after discovering the teacher's first name, comes in from recess and boldly uses the teacher's first name when they're asking a question in class. I can remember that moment. I can remember everything within me just wanted to slow clap because I just wished I was that brave, but I also realized I didn't want detention for a very, very long time. Something changes when you can connect with somebody on a first name basis in a personal Way. It should not be missed or overstated that the creator of the universe asks his people to use his first name. So we're talking about God the Father, and he's asking us to use his first name. Now, this is true whether we're in the Old Testament with Yahweh as Father, or if we're in the New Testament with his son, Jesus. God wants to know us and be known by us on a first-name basis. So let me ask you again, how do you view God? Our image of God impacts our desire for relationship and connection with Him. So the way that we see God changes our approach. If we see him as angry, we withdraw. If we see him as uh, benevolent, maybe we get close. Maybe you see him as a supernatural genie in heaven where you shoot your prayers up and it's just like pulling the handle on a slot machine and you just hope that somebody answers it. Uh, there, there's all kinds of ways that we can see God and the way that we see him directly uh, is a direct response in, in how we connect with him. So if, if, we, if we're afraid of him, we pull back. If we, if we see him as loving and caring uh, on a first name basis, we draw near. There is a societal narrative that paints a desperately ugly picture of who God is in part due to us imposing our 21st century ethic 
onto the Near East. But this is what Dr. David T. Lamb has to say about that. Compared to other ancient Near Eastern literature, the Old Testament is shockingly progressive in its portrayals of divine love, acceptance of foreigners, and affirmation of women. So maybe things aren't always as they appear. Our image of God will directly affect how we either pursue or avoid God. If we believe that the God of the Old Testament is really harsh, unfair, and cruel, we won't want anything to do with him. Who God is has profound implications for who we are. Come on, we say it one more time. Who God is has profound implications for who we are. And here's the problem. We usually end up with a God who looks an awful lot like us. <laughs> Genesis 1, this creation account, God makes man in his image, but oftentimes we can fall into the trap even of, as believers of making God into our image. We've got a problem when God always backs up your opinion. <laughs> when you're always right and so is God because he agrees with you, there's a good chance you've created God in your own image. In reality, this is why some of us shiver when we call out the name Yahweh or, or we even whisper the idea of Father in connection to God. You know, Jesus would often start teaching and he would say something uh, like, the kingdom of God is like. And then he would tell a story that was radically out of step with how people of the day and age thought. Uh, Pastor John Mark Comer says this, for Jesus and all the writers of scripture, the starting point for all theology is the realization that we don't know what God is like, but we can learn. But to learn, we have to go to the source. Remember, God's self-revelation is an invitation to relationship. But let's look at this. Okay, let's dive right in. Uh, this is John 3.16. Just turn to somebody near you and say, I know that one. <laughs> I know that one. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are actually gonna head over to the book of Exodus. We're gonna head over to Exodus 34. And uh, Exodus 34, particularly verses six and seven, are actually uh, the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. You could say that Exodus 34, six and seven is actually the John 3, 16 of the Hebrew Bible. So buckle up, let's, let's meet God, Yahweh, our Father in heaven. Let's let him introduce us to him. This is John 34. We'll start in verse five. The, the setting is important. This is Moses, who's a friend of God. And he so desperately wants to be connected on even a deepened level. He asks to see God's presence. He says, listen, no man can see me, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna walk by. I'm going to declare my name Yahweh, and my 
presence will pass in front of you and you put him in the cleft of a rock. This is the experience that Moses had in the presence of God. Imagine this, the presence of God being in God's presence, his felt manifest presence changes the way that we understand God. It changes our perception. It changes everything. It changes the way that we see him. Why? Because we know him on a deeper level. God wants to meet you in a deep way with his presence in the same way that he met Moses. He wants his presence to pass by you, to be near you, and to be all around you. And and while we're worried about being in a building or not being in a building, he's not worried about that. He's worried about your heart. He's worried. He says, listen, my presence wants to be near you. I want to come near you. I want to draw near to you and you to draw near to me. And I want to reveal things about myself to you in a way that you never thought possible. Maybe you've grown up with all these stories about people who are intimately connected to God and you're just like, wow, those seem like superhuman people. No, they're really normal people who serve a supernatural God who wants to be in relationship with you. Yahweh, our heavenly father, knows your name wants you to know his name so you could call Abba, Father. And he can meet you and pour out his love and his kindness and his goodness. Come on, let's look at this encounter with Moses. And even now as we're reading the scripture, I believe that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you, that Yahweh wants to reveal himself to you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Even right now, from house to house, from home to home, wherever you are, Jesus is connecting with you. God, the creator of the universe, is connecting with you. Three in one. This is Exodus 34, verse five. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Are you starting to get a picture of who God is? He is just, he is kind, he is loving, he is compassionate. He emphasizes forgiveness above all else. He is slow to anger, and I love that, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, you might have noticed now that the writers of Scripture start to reference particularly this idea of unfailing love and faithfulness repeatedly throughout the Bible, and Jesus himself is is described in this same manner. What I love, when you think about that he's slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, I actually think about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I think about love, joy, patience, peace. I think about all those things. Why? Because they're attributes of God. And the work of God, the fruits of the Spirit is simply this, the evidence of God at work in our lives. So it's not a surprise 
that we start to take on some of Yahweh, our Heavenly Father's attributes, as he is working in our lives. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Think about this. This is John 1, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. Remember this line. (laughs) He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So we take Galatians 5 and understand that that's the Holy Spirit and his attributes are the same. We take a look at Jesus. We understand that his attributes are the same as God the Father in Exodus 34, as he describes himself to us. Let's keep going because we've got it. There's a lot here and I want us to begin to unpack it layer by layer. He says, I lavish that unfailing love to a thousand generations. <laughs> you know, 1 John 4 describes uh, God as love. He says, God is love. That is his essence. That is who he is. And, and he describes the sacrifice Jesus made in 1 John 4, verse 8 to 10, as real love. That God gave his one and only son. He describes that as real love. Think about this. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. Come on, this is who he is. I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin. He says, I want to forgive you. But then he goes one step further. He says, but I do not excuse the guilty. Okay, God is just. He's loving, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, but he is just. Isaiah 55 talks about his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He is just. When we begin to understand the attributes of God, his characteristic, when we begin to see them popping up in our own lives as we draw near to him, we also understand the justice of God. Now, have you ever had that moment where you stumble upon a a Bible verse that you're just like, oh, there's no way that the pastor is going to say that on Sunday because it's hard. Sometimes you might see it on the screen. We go dot, dot, dot. And you're like, oh, he just doesn't want to talk about the hard part. No, no, no. Let's, let's talk about the hard part because the good part, if we, if, if we only take the, the hard part and we ignore the good part, then, then this good part that we can hold on to begins to be diminished in its meaning. So let's, let's look at it. Let's not be afraid of Scripture. Let's get the whole counsel of God, all right? So let's buckle up. Uh, And look at this. He says, uh, this is verse seven. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. We're good with that. John 3, 16, 1 John 4, verse 8, 10. Okay, we know about this. But he says, I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Okay, this is getting awkward now. And even children in the third and fourth generation. She's like, hold up. I'm guilty for something that my grandparents did. And this is where it gets hard because like if we take it just at face value and we go nowhere else, we're like that's, that's wrong. That's not justice. That's, that's inhumane. That's wrong. Oh, inhumanity or something being inhumane in, in direct relationship to God is actually irrelevant because he's not a human. But let's think about it this way. The question we have to ask is, is God contradicting himself? Is God contradicting himself? Is Yahweh contradicting himself here in this moment? Because Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, says that parents not be, uh, must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. So 
we kind of have contradictory statements, it feels like. God's saying, hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this on. Uh, you know, we're going to judge this. We're going to put this on these kids and their grandchildren, the third and fourth generations. But then out of the other side of his mouth, it seems like he's saying, hold on. Uh, parents shouldn't die for the sins of their children, and, and children shouldn't die for the sins of the parents. So which is it? Well, in Jeremiah 32, the prophet actually uh, begins to provide commentary on Exodus 34. And he says this, You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Uh, you reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. Okay. So we seem to be at a contradiction. We seem to be at an impasse because which is it, God? Which, which one uh, do you do? You pass that judgment on or, or are we missing something? Let's, let's peel back the layers. First thing I think we need to understand uh, is that parents' choices have consequences for their children, okay? Parents' choices have consequences for their children. If, if I... Uh, do something to break up my marriage and I do something to lose my job, my actions will have a direct impact on my kids, right? This, this happens to all of us. The, the things that we do have a direct impact on our children as parents. I think what's so uh, amazing about that is that there is this accountability and responsibility that we have as parents. And that when we walk with Jesus one step at a time, he's gonna lead us and he's gonna guide us through. I think sometimes we put a lot of weight on ourselves and we make this like a performance metric thing. Listen, if, if you're walking with Jesus, forgiveness abounds, grace abounds, he's slow to anger, he's full of unfailing love and compassion and, and forgiveness can do amazing things. Uh, but the reality is our choices have consequences. But I also think that it's amazing when you think of the contrast, that it was a father's love. The consequence of the father's love was that his son would make a sacrifice that brought restoration. So you have to look at it on both sides. Well, every one of our choices has a consequence. The father's choice, his choice of love, caused there to be a sacrifice of his one and only son, and it was in that sacrifice that restoration for all humanity was bought. Number two, peeling back the layer, as we unpack this, this hard verse in Exodus 34, God introducing himself to us. Number two, sin runs in the family. <laughs> sin runs in the family. It's in our DNA. We can't get away from it. Romans 3.23 says that for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You know, some of us I guess you could put it this way. Some of us can't escape our last name. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself uh, saying, listen, I'm never going to do, you know, this is for all you new parents out there. I'm never going to do what my parent did. I'm never going to be that way. I'm not going to do that thing. And inevitably, a life situation happens and you just do or you say something and you're like, oh, I am my father's son or I am my mother's daughter, you just, you just, it's like you've just become them. Some of us, we, we, you might run away from your last name. You feel like you just can't escape your last name. That DNA, it just tracks you down. Well, the same thing is true through, for sin. It's in our nature. It's in our DNA. It's a part of us. 
because of the fall of man, because of the separation, it's not the way God intended. It's not the way Yahweh wanted it, but because of choices and consequences. We wrestle with this sin, runs in the family. But because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, that power of sin is broken over us. Number three, I love you 3,000. Come on, my Avengers fans. You're like, I never thought that we would use an Avengers quote to unpack a complicated portion of scripture. Well, you haven't hung out with me long enough because uh, we will definitely do that every day of the week. Um, as we're looking at Exodus 34, and this is God describing himself to us, God the Father, Yahweh, on a first name basis, describing himself to us we have to understand that there's a poetic flow to this passage of Scripture. And when you look at this language, and I'll, I'll look at it directly here, so you see exactly what I'm talking about in verse 7. Uh, it says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. And then you go down a little bit further. At the end of verse 7, it says, even children in the third and fourth generations. What you will discover is that that word generations was not actually in the original Hebrew text. That in order to make this make sense and to kind of make sense of uh, an awkward Hebrew idiom, uh, these translators put in the word generations to try and kind of paint the picture so we could understand it. But if you take it out, it says, reads like this, it says uh, that, that God is maintaining love to thousands, but he punishes to the third and fourth. Okay, so that's, that's an actually more accurate reading in this, in this turn of phrase. It's a Hebrew turn of phrase. He maintains love to thousands, but he punishes to the third and fourth. So just imagine with me that it's actually a scale. Uh, there's... there's uh, in the book of James, James 2, verse 13, it actually says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So imagine with me a sliding scale where mercy triumphs over judgment, that God maintains love to a thousands, but he punishes to the third and fourth. That a thousand always beats, thousands always beats three and four. That his nature is good and love, that he's quick to forgive and he is slow to anger. He's not mad at you. He's in, he's in love with you and he's chasing you down. He is a good, good father. It doesn't matter what your attachment or your anger is with that word. He is not defined by uh, human fatherhood. He is the definition of love himself. God the Father, Yahweh, the creator creator of the universe wants to know you and be known by you on a first name basis and his love he maintains it to a thousands i love you three thousands mercy triumphs over judgment that's james 2 13 this is how the bible then describes god's son jesus John 1, 14. So the word became human, made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. When we see Jesus, 
we see the Father. And some of us can't escape our last name. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. These are the words of Jesus in John 14. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his works through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. God, Yahweh, our Father in heaven, maintains love to thousands. I love you. 3,000. Well, thank you so much for listening in on the Saints Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in next time and enjoy the rest of your day.